Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello to the listeners of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. This is the Saturday edition where we look at things in more depth and often with historical references. Today we have a lot on the agenda because we want to look at the cultural transformation broadly especially given that we've heard from our January 6th committee all about insurrections. I think what we want to look at is what the real insurrection is. And I know that, Victor, I'm not sure if your article is published yet, but it is also going to be an article coming out. And we're going to look at all of the different ways in which we see the left compromising our institutions and our traditions and agencies, et cetera. So we'll have a look at that. But first, let's take a moment for some messages and we'll be right back. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise, plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back. Victor, we got a lot to talk about with looking at the whole context of all sorts of things that are going on. For example, the gas prices going up, shortages in the supply line, inflation, the border issue, the Supreme Court justice assassin, just to name a few of the recent incidences that seem to hearken to a system in collapse, but lots of other things even deeper than that. But first, I want to remind your listeners that you are the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. You also have a website, victorhanson.com, to which people can subscribe for $5 a month or $50 for the year. So, Victor, before we get to everything, I wonder if there's anything on your mind currently that we should discuss shortly before we talk about this big either systems failure or, you know, something's going wrong in our culture. The talk of insurrection or revolutionary changes is is really kind of disturbing, I guess, for me. But is there anything immediately on your mind? Uh, Well, I spend now 
since this is week nine of this long COVID, I spend 45 minutes, no longer, every evening reading about exegesis, ideology of long COVID. I'm trying to become a guinea pig and researcher and amateur student <laughs> at the same time. All right. And trying the latest. And it's fascinating. I, I It's absolutely fascinating that there's a big discussion where the long symptoms are caused by reactivation of prior, say, Epstein-Barr viruses or herpes viruses, chicken box, things like that, mono, or the virus had some particular nate for certain people. It created a post-viral endless fatigue in the sense that the immune system not only did not shut off, weeks after it, it intensified. And that would explain, at least in my case, a lot of the neurological symptoms I have of pins and needles and muscle aches and brain fog and insomnia. But, and then yeah. there's another, there's another exegesis that suggests that there's still little particles, all, even though you're testing negative, they hide out in the gut or the brain or whatever. And yeah. they, they're just there enough to trigger their subclinical, but they're there enough to trigger the response. Miles, just finish this little, uh, oh, what was me? Eeyore talk yeah. with um, <laughs> the idea that, you know, there's like 200 million known cases, and that means five times more. A billion people probably got this. And if it's six or 7% didn't get over in a, a month, you, you can see yeah. that you're talking about 100 million people. And what I'm yeah. saying is all the world's brains right now are working on it. So I'm confident that they're going to find that the mitochondria are not being nourished because of the immune diversions or what. They're going to find something. But there's yeah. a lot of people working on it. And yeah, but wish we, encouraging. So I've been. I've but been perhaps it would be better if there were more people working on it, I and not so. so many people worrying about the political consequences. Exactly, of if they things. would not worry yeah. about diversity, equity, you know, long COVID community underserved. Well, the way, best way to Crazy. serve any community is find a cure for it. One thing I've noticed yeah. too is there's all of these natural paths, chiropractic functional medicine doctors, and they're all scanning the internet and trying to find ways of counteracting the virus. If the virus sucks the energy on ATP out the cell level and the immune system wears you out, then maybe you can replenish it faster with a series of amino acids or niogen or something like that than it can be depleted, creatine, carnitine, whatever. Or there's people that say, you know, Apigen has an EBV antiviral. So they have these theories and they're using them and they're not deadly. I mean, they're supplements or they're off-label uses, but they get, they're just derided by the medical community. So then when you look at the University Center for Long COVID Recovery, it's counseling yeah, and uh, it's, symptomology. We have a multifaceted center. So if you have a heart, we'll give you a heart drug. You know, you can have like nine. If I were to do that, I would say, I need a sleeping pill. I can't sleep. I need a neuropathy for pains in the feet. I need a muscle relaxant. I need something to stop occasional really low, 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 low blood pressure. You could do all of that. (laughs) But you're not finding the cause of it. At least the other people are trying to find the cause of it. And yeah. that's what's so funny. And they're derided. But it's just like the same, that same mentality. You have to get two vaxes. 
There's yeah. no danger whatsoever. You have 96%. And then it's, hmm, nobody told us that you could get Delta when you got two vaxes. Hmm. Well, there's a yeah. little bit of young men that get myocarditis. Hmm. There's a few women that get ovarian cyst or irregular menstrual periods or pseudo masses that may be and may not be breast cancer. And, oh, by the way, we decided to get a booster. Oh, by the way, we decided to get a fourth booster. So here you have the iconic figure, Dr. Fauci, who was telling all of this. So no man in America has worn a mask longer than he has. No man in America is more familiar with the mechanics of social distancing and quarantine than he is. No person got vaccinated really earlier than he did with his two vaccinations. No person got an, or was more adamant that a third booster would knock that little delta entry through the shield. And no person was more adamant saying the pandemic was over. Then Omicron A, B, C came. And now Dr. Fauci says a fourth, a fourth booster. Well, I know so many people that have got COVID and long COVID with a fourth booster. And yeah. now he says, if you get it and he got it, no problem. You get Paxlovid, the antiviral, and he got it. And he was very, and then guess what? It boomeranged. It didn't work. And he got a second. I'm just extrapolating from what he said. Not yeah. my, and so then he got it. It made it maybe even worse. He got it a second time. And I think he's now using off-label usage because unless I'm mistaken, the CDC doesn't say that you can use Paxlovid a second time, a second five, you know, day round yeah. after the first boomerang and maybe didn't kill the virus and the virus came back in force. But he but Fauci's doing it. Yeah. So what I'm getting no. at is that if you followed our government's protocols, prescriptions, yeah, you would be where Dr. Fauci is today. Yeah. And it's a very dangerous disease for an 80 year old so we wish him I, I, the best and getting I'm, better yeah, yeah i'm not deriding him i'm not yeah. deriding him i feel for him and i want him to get well i think he will get well but my point is if you social distance and you wear a mask religiously and you get your two moderna or pfizer and then you get a booster and then you get another booster and then you carry around a pack of the latest antiviral in your briefcase and you start to get sick and you take it and it clears it and then it comes back and then you, you go again. It's still there is what I'm saying. Yeah. And there has to be some humility where people say at some point, we don't know what's going on. We think vaccinations prevent morbidities uh, to a greater degree. In other words, you get vaxxed twice or maybe a booster you're not going to get, but we don't know that because there's a lot of people who have argued that people with two boosters, maybe that weakened the immune system, maybe the spike protein. We don't know everything about it because they've become very ill. Yeah. And so just a little humility and a little, if somebody Honesty. wants, to, yeah, if somebody wants to take intravenous vitamin C or he wants to take, um, you know, two grams of carnitine or he wants to take anything if yeah. it's not going to be lethal and i you know they, they really deem i haven't taken ivermedicine i haven't taken hydroxychloroquine but i know people who took them for other reasons i took chloroquine when i was in egypt in 1973 and it was a bad drug but hydroxychloroquine apparently is better 
But my point yeah. is that they have a long record of being cheap and mostly safe. But yeah. we've just demonized almost every type of thing. And then the gold standard turned out to be the draw standard. There's no vaccination or antiviral. I think your point is that there's government dysfunction there. And I yeah, think there that is. this that's what I'm, show, that's leading into yeah. our discussion today. Yeah, though. absolutely. Yeah, and uh, sure I don't is. think anybody realizes it. And, you know, we talk about our bureaucrats. So you can't find anybody. Where, I hear that everywhere. Can't find anybody work. I've had a few problems. I try to go up the mountains. I call people. It's very hard to get somebody to come and fix things. And it's very hard. We're still in this project at my house with the electricians, the plumbers, trying to restore an old 150. But it's hard to get people. And everybody says, well, maybe it was the COVID checks. Maybe it would. Maybe it's a declining birth rate. When you go from 2.1 to 1.7, you have a lot fewer younger people in the last 22 years. But maybe it's also that 7 to 15 to 20% of the people who got COVID don't feel well. And I'm very fortunate because I've worked this whole time with long COVID because the difference between getting up in an attic at 100 degrees and wiring and sitting in a cool office and typing. And, you know, I know it's a lot of mental exertion people say, but you can do it. And especially if you have a good editor. I have some great editors at American Greatness, Julie Ponzi and others. And they, they under, you know, I'm, I'm not where I was before COVID so they can see things. But if you're out there physically working, it would be very hard to do that. So there are things going on in our economy that explain this labor shortage that no one is talking about. And I don't know yeah. why they're not talking about, but I believe that long COVID is really affecting yeah. the labor force as yeah, well as sure the, the Biden. There's a trifecta. This country is shrinking because of a declining birth rate. And this country is suffering from pandemic that has an ability for at least, as I said, five to 25 or whatever it is. Don't get over it in a month. They might not get over it in six months. They might not get over it in two years. Some of these stories you read about these people have had it for a year. Heart wrenching. I just I feel so terrible. Yeah. As someone who got mono, you know, thirty years ago overnight and never went away to, for four years, four or five years. We've got to think out of the box. We've got to start being more imaginative. And the orthodoxy was, oh, we're in the era of artificial intelligence and the internet, and we're going to have a problem with excess labor. No, we're not. No, we're not. Because the more that we replace certain types of jobs and the more capital and income we create, the human mind's ability for to increase their appetites commiserately is limitless. So houses are getting better. People want this. They want this type of vacation. They want this type of counter. They want this type of applause. It takes people to put them in and service them and monitor them. And when you have a declining birth rate and you have government-sanctioned incentives not to work, and you've got a pandemic that seems to weaken a lot of your members, they don't talk about it. I think yeah. the future is not going to be we're all going to be sitting around a lotus land served by a bunch of computers, but we're going to be shrinking old people, and we're going to need young, hardy people to do physical things for us. Unless you're going to get a computer to do everything, I'm a robot. I don't see that happening. 
Well, who knows? But Victor, I'd like to get to our agenda today. Yes. And I think what I'll do is set what I think most of our listeners sort of see in the schema that the, as I said, the increasing gas prices are probably the most dominant thing we all notice. But the shortages in you know baby food is the recent one, but shortages in supplies of also, almost everything. The inflationary pressures, of course, the border is visible to most people who bother to watch the news. And then just the Supreme Court decision on Roe and on the Environmental Protection Agency case that they had. And, you know, the sort of dysfunction going on around that, the letting out of information, the leaking of information from the Supreme Court. I don't know if that was the first in history, but it certainly is not a frequent thing. The Supreme Court is usually, you know, not prone to that kind of dysfunction at all. We have two impeachments of Donald Trump. We have Biden, who is the other side's savior from the Trump years, and yet he's at only 31% approval rating, according to Kiwitas. And then things like the Afghanistan debacle and you know the international relations with Russia, China seem to be on edge. And so I think all of us are looking at these things and going, how are we to conceive of them or why are they happening? They don't seem to have to happen. Like a lot of this seems to be brought on by something in our culture. And I think that's what we were going to talk about today. And I would like to let you go and and address. Well, you're talking about the symptoms and we can review them layer upon layer like on peeling an onion until we get to the cause. Yeah. So the problem with inflation and, and supply chain, we're not talking about shoelaces, although I went in the store the other day to get shoe polish and shoelaces and they were not there. But <laughs> we're talking about baby formula, tampons. We're talking about affordable meat. We're talking about the stuff of life. I really had a, a an enlightening experience because If you're paying people a lot by the hour and they run out of stuff and you live three miles from a Home Depot, you run in. And so I've been looking at these prices and they're for everything, everything from a junction box to a hammer to insulation to sheetrock. It's just incredible. They're either not there or they're they're just lag bolts, $75 for some big lag bolt. It's just crazy. And then when you look to fill up, everybody's talking about the same thing. They can't afford it. They don't know what to do. They're stuck with these cars. You drive them, they owe money on these cars. They have to get to work. And they hear this Gina McCarthy at the EPA saying, oh, we're transitioning or this other advisor, we're going to the liberal world order and all of this stuff as if they almost enjoy what they're witnessing. So you look at the stuff of life, and that is basically shelter is out of sight to buy a home. Building materials are out of sight in short supply. Fuel, we haven't come to shortage it yet, but we will probably get there, and it's unaffordable. Meat is unaffordable. And power, electricity is going up and up and up. We're going to get to the point where people are not going to be able to turn their air conditioning on. So you ask yourself, what is happening? What is happening? And you look to your agencies. What is the EPA doing? Is it really protecting the environment or is it going after certain 
stuff of life? Do they allow people to, if we want to have Teslas, or we, do we have the power that can be affordable? Do we have nuclear power plants that are clean and safe and the technology is 75 years old? Do we have them? No. Why don't we have them? Do we have natural gas? No, they're not allowing this. So are we having refineries? Are we fracking? And it doesn't seem that anybody sees how fragile civilization is. So when you see shortages and price hikes in the stuff of life, then you ask yourself, who's in charge of the stuff of life? Is Pete Buttigieg worried? He just said he was going to spend a billion dollars to correct racism in highways. I just came back literally 40 minutes ago from a service station. I was the only so-called white person there. You think anybody was talking about the 99 came through Selma in racist fashion? No. Mm, no. They were talking about the price gas, Pete. Your job is to help people. It's not to go pursue some theoretical fantasy of yours that you think will resonate with the people you hang out with and help you in your presidential wild goose chase. So they don't get it. And so when we look at the reasons why these are happening, we go to the next level, and that's the institutional responses that might explain these supply shortage. We'll look at our economic advisors. These are the people, remember, they signed a petition and told us that Build Back Better would not cause inflation. Thank God for Joe Manchin, or we would have borrowed and eaten through another $4 trillion. We'd be in 20% inflation if we're not yeah. already on, a, on an accurate barometer. And then look at the Treasury Secretary. She's clueless. And we look at Jerome Powell. He's surprised at inflation, too. Even though people from Larry Summers, all my colleagues at the Hoover Institution, a John Taylor, a John Cockman, a John Cogan, a Michael Boskin, a Josh Rao, they were all warning people, don't do this. And yet this institutional class did it. And then when we look at oil, that people said, and I don't mean people with PhDs, people said, if you tell lending institutions not to support or promote investment in fracking, you'll have less oil and gas. If you don't have new leases, you'll have less oil and gas. If you shut down Anwar, you'll have less oil and gas. If you cancel pipelines when you can't get access to other sources of oil, like uh, the Alberta oil fields, Keystone, you will have less gas. If you continue to do this, you will. It only took a year and a half, a year, and we had less gas, and nobody listened to these. These were people that were CEOs. These were people who were journalists. These were people who just looked at things. And when you look at the border, there were people in the Trump administration that said, you know what? It took us three damn years. It's hard when you have the whole liberal media, the whole liberal university research apparatus, and all of the legal teams suing you for every single thing. And when you have the Defense Department and the Homeland Security Department staffed by left-wing bureaucrats, but we broke through. I'm speaking as if I was a member of the Trump. We broke through. We stopped catch and release. We made refugees apply in Mexico. We rebuilt the first 550 of porous walls. We had started 20, 30 miles on the next wall. We had talked tough with Obrador, the socialist communist. We told him, you keep doing this and you're going to regret it. That is greenlining. And we stopped it. And what? These people came in and they said, you know what? Who's to say who's a citizen, who's not, who's a resident? There's no difference. Let people come. And we destroyed it. And every single issue 
we have a common theme that these institutions now, these permanent institutions are being run by very wealthy people, highly educated, extremely ignorant, not very bright, and they have visions of a utopia, and they're never subject to the consequences of their own ideology. And yeah. they're glib, they're rhetorical. They were the guys that raised their hand in first grade. Remember, hey, call on me. They were the guys that went around with their SAT scores, buttons on their shoulder. I, I did 800 in math. So, but they're not smart people. And they run these institutions and they're left wing. And before they were sort of public minded. And so if you go look at this next level that I'm talking, look at the FBI. Think about it. If I just gave out some names of the most prominent FBI people in Washington, where, where the FBI is directed, James Comey, pause, 245 times under oath, said, I can't remember. Oh, old, good old Bob Mueller, former FBI, using GPS, Mr. Mueller, steel dog. I don't know what those were. <laughs> the two pillars of his own 22-month stupid investigation. James Baker, general counsel. Uh, yeah, I was talking to the media about getting the Steele dossier. And yes, apparently FBI did hire Christopher Steele. And yes, they did pay him some money. Okay. Uh, then we go to Andrew McCabe. Yes, I lied three times to federal investigators. I, I, I don't know why I did it. I was the acting FBI director, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page. We need to go into there torrid romance and their unprofessional behavior when they were reassigned and their reassignments were staggered so we wouldn't make the connection. FBI, would you give us the phones so we can see what was going on with some of your... Oh, there's no data. We don't know what happened. The phones lost their records. Hmm. Or we have Kevin Kleinsmith. He's a very well-trained lawyer. He saw something that he didn't like and he just forged it or altered a doc. I could go on, but you get the CIA, the FBI, the IRS. This is the second level of explanation. And we finally are left with the final one. Why do these people get so much power? And why are they so biased? And why do they not believe in the United States? Yeah, Victor, I was just going to ask you that. Like, okay, so I know all those cases, but what led them to be political like this rather than just doing their job. I mean, at some point when you're working in a government agency, you have to realize that you're, you've got a job to do, and then you have a political self that's outside the agency. But how did these people come to confuse those two? Well, for me, I go back to my earlier training as a classicist, and I try to see what was the common theme in periods of the past. What was the common theme in Catullus, in Horace, in Tacitus, in Suetonius? You know what I mean? Yeah. Petronius is satiricon. And it's this propensity of an elite to have so much leisure and affluence that they feel they're no longer subject to the laws of nature, that they've transcended that level of survival. And then humans being humans they tend to be self-critical. They tend to be narcissistic. They tend to be skeptical. They tend to be cynical. They tend to be utopian. And they kind of look down at people who haven't progressed as rapidly as they have. 
And it, it expresses itself in classical literature with kind of jokes about very sophisticated but sterile women of the Roman class. They're not having children, but they're fascinated by dirty, sandy gladiators in the arena or mm. little snark quirks and snarks and snarks, whatever term we use in the satiricon about soldiers that are not as witty as sort of these transgender, bisexual, sophisticated urban elites. It's all there. Yeah. And what I'm getting at is that we have a lot of people who are running our world. They don't know how their car works. They just expect that it's going to work or else. They have no idea what how their car works. When they look at their sprinklers and the water comes up, they don't have any idea where that water comes from. They don't know anything. When that thing goes out, the solenoid on their sprinkler system, they couldn't fix it. They flip on their lights and they see it. A flicker, they have no idea how to fix that. They don't even know what a circuit breaker is, much less how to rewire a junction box. Same thing yeah. with their air conditioning, same thing with their TV, same thing with the roof that leaks. So yeah. we have been so sophisticated and successful with refining the arts of appliances and appurtenances and buildings that people style now really do believe that when you flush that toilet, that sewage just disappears. It goes, it vaporizes and is transformed into a fragrant scent. And when you turn on wing water, a cloud just happened to come by and, and rain into your pipes. That's what they believe. They don't have no idea where these things come from. Yeah. But they do understand that as a sophisticated elite, oh my God, everything is so wonderful, but I might die at 76. But we've got to find out why that could be possible. Well, the planet is warming. We've got to stop that. There's not enough diversity. There's not enough equity. There's not enough inclusion. We've got to stop that. We've got to stop this. We've got to, st and they get into these refinements and they lose complete knowledge of the building block. It's like somebody who's built a pyramid and they're up at the very, very top little link looking around and they feel like they're deities, but they have no idea that as they step further and further, ascend skyward that the base, the foundation is neglected. And it was in revolt in 2016. So let's just take a deep breath, Sammy, and say, you may be the best coder in the world. You may be the best brain surgeon that we've ever heard of. We need you. But you better pay attention to the guy who lays cement. You better pay attention to the taxi driver. You better pay attention to the carpenter. You better pay attention to the guy that crawls into that sewer hole. Because if they don't do that, you're nothing. And they don't understand that. And this is biting them back now. This class is saying, you know what? I'm not going to keep doing this, whether it's sending their kid to Afghanistan or, as I said, staying up all night in your attic trying to get your lights on. Yeah. Victor, let's take a moment for some messages and then come right back to talk about the political class, because you've talked about the people that are in the institutions running government. But then we have our political class who has gone even a step further. But first, these messages. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. 
I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Welcome back. Victor, I feel like that we've got two levels of problematic governance. And that is, as we just talked about, those people in very important institutions that should not be political, being political and really destroying the ends of the institutions. But also we have a political class that's really becoming revolutionary and in the process very destructive to our culture in the sense that they would love to get rid of things like the filibuster, the electoral college, the nine Supreme Court justices, and that kind of thing. And so we see our politicians now, and again, we're looking for, why is this calling for these really radical changes to our constitution? It's for two reasons. One, The Democratic Party, which used to have limousine liberals, the Kennedys or people like that, is now all that. Their entire elite is run by the wealthiest of the wealthy and the most entitled. And when you add in globalization and the lucrative opportunities with Chinese capital and income, look at Hunter Biden. And so you've got the wealthiest elite in the history of the planet, and they feel that they want fairness. They feel bad about poverty. They don't live with people that are poor or middle class. They don't want anything to do with them, but they feel like a medieval sinner that they're never going to go to Tesla heaven or whatever heaven it is unless they can do good deeds. And they want to do good deeds, but they do not want to give up that Martha Vineyard home. They do not want to give up that new a Wahoo seaside resort home that Obama has. They just don't want to do it. So they manufacture ways to square that circle. And one of the ways is they scream and yell about inequality and racial inequality, gender inequality. They don't look at any facts. They don't say there's gender inequality, but 55% of BAs go to women and higher ratios in many of the PhD fields. They don't even want to talk about that. Or they'll say there's inequality about criminal justice because uh, African-Americans are inordinately in the criminal justice system. Okay, but they don't want to say, well, why is that? And why are they committing crimes disproportionately to their population? Is it because other minorities, all minorities, everybody does this? But they don't want to ever talk about particular cultural or social or economic causes for this, our lack of leadership. So they just yeah. have this guilt, this left-wing socialist, neo-communist, totalitarian impulse, and they want action. And most people don't live like they do. They're neither very poor or they're neither very rich. They're guys that run a hamburger stand. They're guys that sell insurance. They're guys that sell shoes. They're women 
that are open, you know, a fabric shop. They're a family pizza business, and they're against it every single day. They have to have security. They have to have insurance. They have to have maintenance. They have to keep up with inflation. They have suppliers. They have theft. And they live in the real world of human nature. And they remind this class every four to two years, you're forgetting us. You don't understand that we're not at your level yet. We haven't got your Stanford PhD or JD or MD. We don't have that. We don't want it. But stop telling us how to live from your gated estate. And you start with that disequilibrium, then a lot of things make sense. And these people are so arrogant and they're so wealthy under globalization that they say, change. Just, you know, I live in Woodside. I make $50 million a year. And when I want something, boy, I get it. So I am mad that 10% of all the women who want an abortion will live in a red state. So we're going to stop that, and we're going to pack that court. And these are very bright people, supposedly. And then you say, well, we did that from 1788 until 1866, and it was a disaster. So we decided mm-hmm. 150 years ago, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to keep it at nine. And then we hate that electoral college. It was the blue wall, and it helped us so much. And we, ha, 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 Illinois and New York and California. But now it broke. And this is a relic. We don't want it anymore because because Hillary wasn't elected. And believe me, if Joe Biden runs again and he loses the popular vote and wins the Electoral College in a dime, they will say, we need the Electoral College. (laughs) They'll say, you know, they'll be told, you know, driver's license are racist. And so we're going to have a national voting law. And you say, well, wait a minute, read the Constitution. It says from time to time, the government can come in and have a national, you know, Remedy, i.e., if you're black, you get to vote without a poll tax. You have to be treated equally. But not everything. The states have the prerogative in most cases to set ballot. Do we want to go back to the Missouri compromise days when each time you admit a state, you get into almost a civil war? Because those two senators and that one to two or five representatives will tilt the Congress on a key issue? Because that's where we are now with the left. Mm -hmm. They want Puerto Rico and D.C., not because of any principle. They just want four senators right now. Yeah. And so they are destroying institutions because they feel, A, they can, and B, that they're moral and superior to everybody, and they don't have to follow the rules. And you can see that by their inconsistency and their hypocrisy. Inconsistency, Barack Obama, filibusters, the Alito judicial nomination 2006. Fast forward to the Trump era, Barack Obama goes to John Lewis's funeral and gives an oration that basically is hijacked by himself and devoted to Jim Crow racists. In other words, Obama, listen to everybody, Obama says to the nation, those racist filibusters like me who filibustered Sam Alito, that's what he's saying. And so they are completely hypocritical. And the one thing that's in common, that anything that is viable or useful for the pursuit of power to affect this top-down utopian change is legitimate. And that can be almost anything. I just think the sad thing is, is that the way you're talking, that we are losing anybody that 
has the potential to be a statesman and they're getting replaced by a whole bunch of demagogues who are willing yeah, to lie we, and obfuscate all the time. And it's really are. annoying for most we of used us. To have, we used to have all these. I didn't agree with them all. I mean, William J. William Fulbright or Everett Dirksen or Barbara Jordan. These were very intelligent people and they could finish a sentence and they can think and they knew the people. And the idea was the people represented them because they reflected the people's interests, but they were able to articulate the people's needs. But these people are just pathetic. And when I said that they're hypocritical, but they're completely inconsistent, that's what is so weird about it. States' rights are perfect, but uh, sometimes we don't like states' rights. It's racist. Sanctuary cities, good. Yes, states' rights, but... Federal government's got to go into a state and said, no, 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 no abortion laws. We're putting a big abortion clinic at a national park. We own the land. So they just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And there's yeah. no principle. They have yeah. destroyed the Supreme Court. They really have. They have personally libeled, threatened almost all these judges. I mean that literally. They go out in front of Clarence Thomas's house and shout and intimidate him. They go try to subpoena his wife before the January 6th committee to send a message to him. They leaked, as you said, a confidential memo, sort of a preview of the Dobbs decision. And then they have an assassin show up at the home of Kavanaugh. No surprise. No surprise. And then we have the president of the United States, as I said to Jack in one of our broadcasts, that was trashing the Supreme Court to the Spaniards. And so... They destroy institutions, they're inconsistent, they're hypocritical, but they are predictable. And by that, I mean, whatever means is necessary is always justified by what they think is the morally superior ends. And they're very dangerous people because they're very nasty people and they're very crude people. I'm talking about the hard left. You know, the way you talk about it, and I know you made some reference to this earlier, but as I was listening to you, I was thinking, this really sounds like Rome at the end of the Republic with the Gracchi issue, with Sulla and Marius conflict, with Milo, with Claudius. Claudius, yeah. It was was gangs. It was street gangs. It was the same thing. What was that a result of? That was a result of globalization. And all of a sudden, from North Africa and from Dalmatia and from Greece and from the old Atlids and the Asia Minor, and especially from the richest of all provinces, Egypt, that was annexed, the amount of capital that poured into Italy was just staggering. And a legate or a prefect or any minor military or civilian official that was abroad, he was more powerful than anybody in the history of Italy. Mm. And so what I'm saying is it's like Mark Zuckerberg doesn't have a market of 330 million people. He has 7 billion people. And that means he can take $419 million and just go into about, you know, a few precincts and flood it and change the laws de facto and then brag about it to Time Magazine. And so it's the same idea that this republic is now a global empire, and this elite is wealthier than beyond comprehension. Yeah. And they're not right-wing. They don't say, hmm, capitalism, the preservation of property, low taxes, less regulation allowed me to become very successful. Therefore, I want to promote those principles 
so that other people can follow in my footsteps. No, it is, I want to make sure that I'm up in the attic and I close that damn door and kick away the ladder. And then I say, which idiot with an SUV or a jet ski or a Winnebago, I can tell him what he can do because I'm his platonic guardian. That's how they think. Yeah, They're, they're very open about it when this advisor to Biden said that we had to just keep borrowing away and just flooding Ukraine with money for the global liberal order, preservation of the global. What does that mean? Yeah. Victor, let's take a moment for some messages and then come right back and look at some solutions for the future to all of this politicking, which when we say it, I feel like we're just saying, oh, a bunch of politicians who are lying to us and just feel like, oh, that's the natural order. And then when I get caught lying, I'll just say, oops, sorry. Right. And no consequences. But let's take the messages first and then we'll come right back. Welcome back. And Victor, I introduced my kind of question statement earlier, but if you could really comment on what can we do? Like we want to demand truth out of our politicians, but. If you start with the idea that there's a nexus between the permanent state and the university that trains these people and the media, then you can approach the problem. So first of all, it is an outrage that Harvard University has $60 billion tax-free or Yale, or Princeton, or Stanford, because they are outright political organizations. So we need to say to them, if you don't support the First Amendment, or the Fourth Amendment, or the Fifth Amendment, or if you practice racial segregation on campus, whether that's safe spaces adjudicated by race, or racially exclusive dorms, or racially exclusive graduation, we're not going to allow you to be tax-exempt and you're going to lose your tax exemption. And if you did that, they would straighten up very quickly. And then second of all, then we should tell the bureaucracies, there's too much money and power concentrated in too small an area. This is like the Kremlin or the Forbidden City or Versailles or El Escarole. It never works out historically well. And everybody marries, the FBI director marries, the politician who marries the anchor woman. You know what I mean? It's just there. Yeah. And they're all invested in the perpetuity of their power. So what we need to do is say, and I've said it before, Department of Agriculture, let's put it in Fresno. They can zoom back and forth to Biden or Trump or whoever it is. Yeah. Department of Transportation, put it in Michigan. There's where cars are anyway. That's where they're built. Department of Borders in Homeland Security, put it down in San Antonio, Texas. That's where the problem is. And just break it up. Break up the federal government and then put a hiring freeze on it. And so, you know, you just say you're not going to hire any more people till we get down to a manageable level. And I Mm. think that we really need a balanced budget. We need to go back to the Simpson-Bowles plan and just not borrow this money anymore. That would cut the amount of people working for the federal government and turn them loose into the private sector. We need to do that. And I think you really have to look at legislation governing federal employees. I'll give you some examples. If you have a law that says the Uniform Code of Military Justice, I think it's Article 88, 
says that you shall not disparage your commander-in-chief or a cabinet officer, and it applies to retire, then you don't, you don't screw around. Yeah. So we don't get all of these people in the public commentariat or on television yelling and screaming and, and calling their president a fascist and a Nazi while they're on some big board. You just say, you know what? You just broke the uniform code of military. You're going to lose your retirement. You can't do that. Or you tell a federal official, you just say you pass a law that says any federal official who lies under oath is subject to criminal prosecution and loss of all federal pensions. We tried to do that with McCabe. And yeah. Trump, Trump, to his credit, took it away. And then Biden brought it back. But that would have meant that Jim Comey and Andrew McCabe and Kevin Klein, all these people would have been very, very scared. You know, when Clapper lied under oath or Brennan, they didn't care. There was no consequences. So we yeah. need to have these laws that look at the problem. The problem is we have too many high-ranking bureaucratic people. We need to have Transparency Freedom of Information Act. Clarence Thomas was onto something when he said there should be a libel law, like there is in Britain. We, we have it in theory, but we never use it, but we should. So if somebody gets on there, like Michael Avenetti, and says, I have evidence that, you know, Brett Kavanaugh was a rapist, well, then either show it or we're going to, he can sue you for public damages. And that would yeah. stop a lot of this stuff. And it wouldn't be contrary to the First Amendment. People are trying to ruin the First Amendment is the left by calling everything hate speech. But let's call, if you really want to have some restrictions on what you can say, then have it based on libel that you deliberately use language to destroy somebody when you know that it's false and you know that when you say something that's false, it's intended to hurt people and it does hurt people, whether yeah. you know, career-wise or financially. So there's, there's things that we could do to rein in this out-of-control class. And if you look at the civil service, there should be a lot more people fired if yeah. they don't perform. So why is Mallorca still there? He's the Secretary of Homeland Security. He destroyed, there is no border. It's not yeah. for us. It doesn't exist. He should be fired immediately. And Pete Buttigieg, as soon as we saw those looted trains coming into the port of LA and we saw those ships backed off and he didn't talk about it, he was on leave for two months. He should have been fired. And that was, you know, like I said, Voltaire said the British have a strange. Was that Admiral Bing? I think they have a strange custom that they every now. And again, they hang an admiral and to quote to encourage the others. And I think that that's a good policy to have. But we, at least get them we, fired, right? And Without we should, their the military pension. is more. Yeah. I mean, if you are the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and you're not just an advisor, which you should be, but you're you're General Milley and you intrude into all these spaces and you take it upon yourself to be the explicator and the architect the policies. What is the greatest humiliation in 50 years? Not since 1975, when the helicopters left the roof at Saigon. I think it was worse in Afghanistan. Why wasn't he fired? Just encourage the others. It's a disaster. You're out. Bye. See you. And if you started to hold people accountable, I think we could. And then we need some national spokesman that says, you know what, Americans, not a Malay speech like Jimmy Carter's, but this is not set in stone. We need to get to work so we can do anything. We're going to pump more oil than you can imagine. We're going to 
pump natural gas. We're going to look at every energy. You guys in the solar, and we're going to help you. We want more solar. We want more wind, but we're going to have clean coal. We're going to have more energy than we know what to do with. We're going to have the best highway system, freeway system. That port of LA, you're going to zoom in and you're going to zoom out. And we're going to encourage private enterprise to get incentives to do this. And we're going to monitor things. And I think it's not going to be a cash for clunker government program to fix this stuff. And I think, remember how Obama laughed? He spent, what was it, $2 billion? And he said, I guess those shovel-ready jobs weren't so shovel-ready. Well, we need to, to get the private sector and give them incentives and hold them accountable. I think we could get rid of this lackadaisical. And then we, let's face it, there are certain areas that you can't talk about. And we know historically that you have to talk about them. And we need to go then systematically. We need to say, you know what? The United States needs to have 2.1 children to replace its population. If it wants to go down the Japan route or the Germany route or the Italian route, we're going to have an old fossilized population. Yeah. We can stabilize at about 370 million, but we have to have children. I'm not forcing everybody to have children, the president could say. But yeah, I'm going sure. to encourage people who do because that's a lot of work and sacrifices through government incentive. And we hold up the life of Julia or the pajama boy model is something that we all should aspire to. Go ahead and do it. No problem. But we're, that is not the building block of a society. And we need to say something about race. We need to say, you know what? We're the only multiracial democracy in the history of constitutional government. Everyone else in the Balkans, Iraq, Somalia, you name it, Rwanda, it doesn't work. And Brazil and India are trying. They're having a lot of problems. And the Soviet Union and the Ottoman Empire and the Roman Empire, they had levels of coercion that were pretty, they weren't comparable to what we expect in a civil society. But this was an experiment. And it will not work if everybody identifies by their tribe. So as president, I'm not going to go down that route. I do not want to refer to somebody. When I appoint somebody press secretary, I'm not going to say this is really good. She's the first black gay woman press secretary. I only care whether she's good or not. I'm going to appoint her on the basis she's the best. And I'm going to say that. And I don't care about her race or her sexual identity. And just go to America. Otherwise, we're going to go tribal. It's like, as I said before, it's like nuclear proliferation. Every group goes tribal. And then you're going to hit the largest group. And I can already see it happening. Not white supremacy, white privilege. I'm talking about the middle classes that have no privilege. And they're saying, you know what? Everybody's going tribal. So I'm going to have to survive and go tribal too. Do you really want that? And that's what these people are doing. So we should just say, you know what? It's not cool to go to a separate. If you're Hispanic, don't go to the Hispanic graduation, separate ceremonies. Go to the regular ceremonies. If you're African-American, you just, you worked hard. That's You're part of the body politic. Why do we go to these separate graduations? Don't go to a theme house where everybody looks like yourself. You go to college and meet different people. Don't go to a safe space and say, you can't come. You look different than I do. We know where that leads to. Yeah. It leads to tribalism and violence in Yugoslavia. Somebody's got to say that. Somebody's got to say that about the people who, who sacrificed to have children. Somebody's mm-hmm. going to have to say to a lot of people, man, if you're over 65 
and you're still working in a labor short market, we admire you. I know everybody deserves a vacation. We used to think we were all going to retire at 55 until we solve our fertility problem or until robots supposedly are going to take over the scene and they're not. The president could say, I have the utmost admiration for all of you people. 65, 68, 69, you're at clerking, you're delivering things, you're working. These are very brave people. But nobody ever says that. Yeah. But I just came back a building parts store, and then I stopped at a food market, and I saw somebody in 66, 67, my age. They're standing all day there checking people out. That's heroic for those people. I know they have to do it financially, but they it's amazing. And we never yeah, give them any means. we never give them any credit. We have all the wrong heroes. Look at these stupid Kardashians and these people that just do these selfies. And they should just say, you know what? Anybody that does a selfie, I don't want to talk to. Because mm-hmm. that's just so self-infatuation and narcissistic. And there are people out there that are very heroic. We have this Hollywood bankrupt, brainless elite. If you looked at Hollywood, you would have right-wing people. You would have left-wing people. You would have gay people. You would have polymorphous people. You would have a whole diverse array of characters. But when you have this boring Soviet, hard left, intolerant, virtue signaling performance art, and we wonder why nobody goes to the movies, script writers, directors, producers, they're all the same. Yeah. I'll just finish by everything we've said today about our problems, the bureaucracy, the type of people who are attracted to it, the poverty of thought and morality in our elite, our upside-down value system. It's all positioned vis-a-vis the world. And there's China over here. And China is saying to us every day, you people were very productive and very bright. And we've stolen almost everything we can from you. But we don't operate like you do. We're not self-critical. We have 2 million Uyghurs. If we have to have 10, we'll do it. These are very bad people. And they are saying to us, we think you're decadent and you're not up to it. And when Taiwan is attacked, you won't do a damn thing. And when we start to really flex our muscles with Belt and Road, and and so they are ready to destroy us. They really are. And they represent an alternate paradigm, an evil paradigm of autocracy and regimentation and totalitarianism and the use of technology to squash the human spirit. But they're serious, and they don't have diversity, equity, inclusion. When they get in math and science and engineering and computers, they've got more engineers than we do by a magnitude of 10. And they've got 380,000 people in our university system that are absorbing it and exporting it back. And I tell you that just sitting around and screaming about your identity, or whether you're happy or not, or whether it's fair or not, or whether it's diverse. Why these people who are the most racist, intolerant, dictatorial people have a plan that doesn't include the United States, and they say it. It's scary. It really is scary. It's like the Romans dealing with the Parthians. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And the Parthians were... they. There's no scene of the Satyricon in Parthia. Yeah. They, they beheaded Crassus and put his head in the plate and redid the Bacchae with it. 
I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it's scary. You have to believe in something. I'll just finish with a rant. Everybody makes fun of Hernan Cortez. In 1519, you know, 1521, he lands in Tenochtitlan, Mexico and all that. But when you read about what he did, he was fighting some of the most brutal people in the world. Forget whether he should be there or not, or what his ends were, but he was fighting 4 million people in the Aztec Empire. And this was mass sacrifice. This was cannibalism. This is pretty tough stuff. And he never had more than 2,500 people, mostly around 800. So you ask yourself, what was he doing? And it wasn't a system that I would prefer, but it it was consensual in some way. There was a king, but there were lawyers and legal people and scribes, and we, they believed in something. And their believing was to spread this religion and this culture that they felt was better than the alternative. And it's easy to make fun of, you know, 15th, 16th century Spain. But when you look at what it did or what it did at Lepanto with the Venetian, it was pretty, they believed in something. It wasn't something that was necessarily good all the time, but it was better than cannibalism is what I'm saying. And it was better than Ottomanism. And we can't make those judgments anymore. But they did believe, we don't believe in anything. We don't have anybody who says, you know what? Yes, some of the founders had slaves. And yes, there was slavery in North America. And yes, maybe you could argue we should have had a civil war in 1776, right then and there and settled it. Yes, yes, yes. But right now, when you look at the history and the trajectory and the current president of the United States, it's better than the alternative. And that's good enough for me. Nobody can say that. Yeah. Victor, I I just a note on your 16th century Spain. I think they would look at us and laugh at us and our ridiculousness or the current ridiculousness. So, Oh, I think he would because Cortez would come alive and he'd say, and so this guy has a cannibal. He's eating people. And they're tearing people's hearts out. And you think that's just an alternative lifestyle? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Absolutely. And, and then he would say, I'm 5'5", five five and I've got 50 pounds of uh, armor on and a Castilian blade. And I have had two concussions and I've got dysentery and I've got 101 temperature and I'm wading through the jungle. What are you mm, doing in your yeah. basement? And they would look at us. Well, they would look at those protesters and some of those weird pro-abortion riots that have all the paint on it. And that woman that yeah, got in New York what you're and, talking about. And they would say, what tribe is this? Are these a Talapaskan? Are these a, who are these people? And what, what tribe do they represent? What's, what's, their, what's their means of communication or something? So this is what this, this generation doesn't understand, that they sit as pygmies and look back at giants and then judge them and have no idea that people are going to one day look at them and see them as ants because they're going to say, well, what did they do? So let me get this straight. In 2022, you walk on feces in your downtown city. And then some guy (laughs) named, I don't know what his name was, but he carves out a whole center of Seattle and he called it what? Chaz or Chaz. And (laughs) he says he's he's got a, a, and you just sit there and let him do it. Is that it? And that's what your society stands for. And let me yeah. get this straight. You've got a governor in Virginia and a, a woman is pregnant and the baby comes out and you kill it. Absolutely. <laughs> with a, with a I, late term abortion or when it's still alive, you can kill it outside the birth canal. And he said, well, then you just go 
and you don't call that murder. This is your society, and you do this maybe, you know, abort maybe half a million to a million abortions, and out of that, there's a, maybe a few thousand where you're doing this, and yeah. it's okay. And then you let me get this straight. You have people who go in and knock people on the head with clubs or knock them out or steal, and they do this. They, they're arrested, they're photographed, and they're let out. And then they do it and they're let out and they let out and they let out. And then they have a whole trail of tears, victims, and you don't even know their names. You don't care about them, but you only care about letting this guy out again and again and again and again. So you can sleep well in the Upper West Side. Is that it? That's your morality? It's the most bankrupt morality there is. It's very alien. We should be much more humble about our our judgment Um, of the past and past civilizations. You can say all you want about the illiberal rule of Augustus, but you know what he said, according, I think it was Suetonius, he said, I inherited a city of mud brick and I left it a a city of marble. And what have we done? We inherited San Francisco and made it a city of feces. Yeah. We inherited Detroit after World War II, and we made it a series of grass growing in the streets. Mm-hmm. We inherited Seattle, and we turned the downtown into the Berlin Wall. We inherited, we inherited Portland, it. and it was a beautiful city, and people don't want to go downtown. Look at L.A. You, I was downtown L.A. It's So it's- this generation better stand up and say, Look at our aqueducts we built. Look at all the dams we built. Look at the wonderful universities that we founded. Look at all of the power plants that give us clean, efficient energy that were created and were self Look at the affordability of our lifestyles for the middle class. We did this. Look at our border, how fair it is. We have legal only. They can't say any of that. Yeah, well, I hope this new wave of or this midterm elections and hopefully a new wave of conservative politicians will, you know, take just, well, note and not I finish be on that, up. though, yeah. Sammy, just ask yeah. yourself one thing. What? So in 94, we had a 60 some seat rejection of Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton's Clinton care and all that stuff. Right. Hillary care. Yeah. And the 94 midterm. And that brought in the whole Genrich Revolution. And Bill Clinton was elected in the six. And then in 2010, we had the Tea Party. And that was even bigger, 70 seats. And that was a complete rejection of Barack Obama. And he lost his uh, House and he lost his veto-proof Senate. And guess what? He got elected in 2012. So this won't mean anything unless you learn from your mistakes. And that is, they're going to need a 50 to 70 seat stunning victory. They're going to need to take the Senate with four or five Senate seats. And that has to be the beginning. Yeah. The beginning, they don't stop. And I think the Supreme Court realized that when they're they're issuing these way overdue corrections. They're not right-wing, you know, adventurous. What they're doing is they're trying to tell the nation the Supreme Court is not a legislature, and we're going to bring it back and then adjudicate whether a law is constitutional or not. Yeah. And unfortunately, that requires a series of examples, and they haven't stopped. Yeah. And they're going to issue more and more. And that's the way that people have to understand. You've got to vote in November, but you've got to see that as the beginning. And you've yeah. got to d- dismantle psychologically, materially, structurally this entire 
media, university, professional sports, corporate, Wall Street nexus, and just keep at it all the time. I think people are. I think they really are turned off and angry. A guy called me the other day who was a farmer. He's a really brilliant guy. And I farmed next to him. He was just brilliant. And he said, Victor, somebody gave me his name. I'm not going to repeat it. And he said, people are angry. I said, yep. He said, no, I mean, people are angry, angry. And I think what he meant was they are getting it 360, 24-7, and they're tired of it. They're tired of getting up in the morning and playing by the rules. They don't commit crimes. They pay their taxes on time. They don't cheat. Their relative or something is not in the government that gives them a some kind of concession. They do everything, and they're not making it, and they are reviled, they feel. And they look at people who commit crimes, or they break the laws, or they're unethical, or they lie, and they feel that they're exempt. It's not a matter yeah. of gender, race, or anything. It's a matter of class. And they say to themselves, I'm had it with these people. I hope we get a whole generation of politicians who don't get caught up in the glamour of D.C. I mean, we may have this Myra Flores, I believe she still has to run against the Democrat in her state, or any of the new ones that come in, if they are, well, whatever side they're on, that they don't get caught up and they have a clear understanding of what a statesman is versus a demagogue. I hope we do not get these people who... I went to Washington when I was 21, and I was an assistant staffer for this person. And then when I was an assistant staffer for this person, I became a consultant for this committee. And then I worked for that committee. And then I went back and I ran for, and then I did the, and their whole life has been in Washington rather than a restaurant owner or a farmer or a mine operator or a mailman, something. We don't need those people anymore. We know what they do. They just blow through money for nothing. And they're corrupt. They're maxing waters on steroids. Yeah, we need people like your friend, Devin Nunes. He never really got caught up in the glamour of D.C., even though he got caught up in the controversies. I feel like he was always... He was a dairy farmer. He grew up on a dairy farm, and he worked as a dairy farmer. And he had a pretty good idea that when he was 26, he he just ran for office. He wasn't you know, yeah. working working for a, as a lifelong aide to a congressperson, waiting for the person to retire. So at forty, he got the job. Yeah, he ran and he he won. And then in his forties, he checked out and said, "Done it. Not going to do it anymore. Try something new." And he didn't care. I mean, I, I knew him pretty well, and I know he was hated by the left. But the reason he was hated, he didn't care what they thought of. Him. No, I know. And he said he dealt with the issues and, and was was straight with the public. That's how I feel about him. And that that's what gets problematic in D.C. That you get into this culture of, well, you got to tell a lie here and you got to tell a lie there. And they lose really all the ability that. to be statesmen. They you really, really lose saw, it. You really saw that when they started writing about him as the dairy farmer from Tulare yeah. over his head, outmatched by Adam Schiff. And then when that whole awful investigation into the collusion hoax and he had the majority report and Adam Schiff had the minority report and it was just night and day almost everything that he I think Cash Patel was the primary helper of his that wrote it but my god he outlined everything that happened and everything that that Adam Schiff in the minority report that was 
glorified in the media. It was all a lie. It was all a lie. Nothing was true. Adam Schiff said there was Russian collusion. There was the Alpha Bank. There was this. And it was all a lie. Yeah, and, I know. And, and he's, you know, he kept at it and at it. And so my point is the Harvard Law graduate who was so sophisticated, read false things into a committee for the record. It was false. He lied about his contacts with Vindman and the whistleblower. He completely lied. He kept saying there was going to be a bombshell disclosure. There was none. He kept saying that Russian collusion existed. On this January 6th, he's lied two or three times. He's a Harvard Law graduate. The guy went to Cal Poly and majored in ag business and worked on a dairy farm. He outperformed Adam Schiff because he didn't care. He didn't care what you said about him. He didn't want to be president. He didn't go swim in the waters of Harvard Law School. So that's, that's what we need. We need people to say that paradigm is bankrupt. The idea that you get 21, and I was part of it. I got a BA at 21. I went right to Stanford. And at 25 and a half, I got a PhD. And bang, bang. And then I said to myself, you haven't lived. You were alive when you were 18. You were on a track or you had friends. And, I, you know, as young, impulsive people are, I overreacted. I said, I'm done. So I came home one day and my dad said, well, what the hell are you doing here? And I said, I'm going to take care of grandma and the house and I'm going to work on the ranch. He said, who's going to pay you? I said, I'll find some money. And he goes, well, you just went to school for eight years. I said, it's killing me. It killed me. I've got to be around real people. I've got to work with my hands. I'm going to die. And she said, okay, you're going to work like you've never worked before. You go down there and you start working on that shit. I want a new roof. I want a new ability dehydrate. I said, I don't know how a bit will dehydrate. Well, you'll learn. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I think everybody needs that. They need to get out and work and be around the working muscular classes. They could really learn from them. And we need interaction both ways. The muscular classes benefit from being around the educated classes and vice versa. And boy, you know, if you're a professional, if you're a lawyer or a doctor or professor and you're grooming your child to go through like a rocket through the Ivy League and then through graduate school, and then stop. Just stop for a while. Just say, you know what? He's going to have a summer as a bricklayer, or he's going to have people come over to the house that are Mexican-American or African-American, or he's going to hang out with people that don't aren't ever going to go to the Ivy League. I think that would be wonderful. Well, thank you, Victor, very much. I just myself hope that we get statesmen in and they follow the model of Devin Nunes, whatever the price it might you know, cause rather than becoming part of this D.C. establishment. That's my hope for at least the midterm, these midterm elections. I do, too. We need people who are not part of that corrupt and insidious system. Yeah. So thank you very much today. Yeah. And thank you to all the listeners. Thank you, everybody, for listening again. All right. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hanson, and we're signing off.